0: You are listening to the Ground Zero Podcast, brought to you by two guys with a simple message. Don't die. Hey now, welcome to Don't Die Sacramento. This is a Substance Use Disorder Counselor Neil, and I'm joined with...
1: Interventionist Lee.
0: Yes! Welcome to the show. How you doing, Lee?
1: Uh, I'm doing fine. How
0: are you doing, you uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good, and uh, it's good to be back after the holidays. We had n- a nice little break, and I'm happy to be back here spreading the message.
1: Yeah, indeed.
0: Did, how how, how was your Christmas? How's your New Year? Can you believe it's 2019?
1: Yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's. I, I felt every moment of last year.
0: Oh God. In
1: one way or another. Did you I'm feel glad it, it's over? Did you feel it in a good way? At times, yeah, okay, yeah. There was definitely some, uh, um, yeah. There's some good times. It was rough. <laughs> it was a rough year, but it was it was uh, a year of uh, a lot of, I'd say, personal growth and professional growth. Sure, but growth is painful sometimes.
0: Well, so you know, I thought w- what I'll just mention is I agree that the year has been a lot of growth. I can say one of the first times I ever worked with Lee was Christmas Eve. 2017 oh shit that was like my first week yeah it was i so so lee came into to to the ranch as we like to call it and uh it's christmas eve and so we had to go do some room searches because we had to look for contraband because you can't trust drug addicts that's the number one rule is that if the client's lips are moving they are lying
1: yeah if they're not lying they've, they've been misdiagnosed <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we're going to do room searches, and this is you know Christmas Eve right before we're about to load all the kids into the uh, druggie buggy and take them to go look at uh, Christmas lights, and we roll into one of the bedrooms, and Lee gets down on the ground. He's got his like, you know, uh, his uh, his rehab technician special issue uh, flashlight. It was a
1: mag light. It was a mini. It was a of the medium sized mag light.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what you in case you have to subdue an angry drug addict. Have yeah, have. So, <laughs> It's a quick wrap on the wrist. <laughs> and uh Lee looks under this bed and all of a sudden he sees jackpot. And oh, yeah. I will never forget. So Lee pulls out uh a pen, like a pen cat uh, you know, a pen that had been the ink had been pulled out of it. It's just this cylindrical tube filled with black, sticky residue. Oh yeah. It was
1: not pot
0: residue either. <laughs> No. And I remember Lee oh, turned just, and he said, the funniest thing, he said, you know, uh, on Christmas, some people leave out cookies for Santa Claus. Some leave out heroin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. I didn't say that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah the heroin pipe. The that ha- was a big fish my first week.
0: That was. And, and I got to say, looking back on my career of getting started working in this industry, some of the funnest moments were... Going through client shit and, and finding stuff because I love, I, I just, I'm a sneaky bastard and I love looking through other people's stuff. I've always been fascinated and, you know, liking to, uh you know, see what kind of stuff they've got hidden. I, I was working with Jenna once, I remember, and we found this kid thought he was slick and had uh, crumbles of weed on top of his Narcotics Anonymous book and he was rolling joints. Oh,
1: yeah, I heard about that. On the
0: NA book and... I remember when Jenna went and she stuck her hand up and we were looking through the closet and she just yells out, we have a winner. Wow. <laughs> she pulls out a huge bag of pot. I mean, it was just.
1: <laughs> I caught that same guy resin hitting a pipe right in front of the facility during uh, med time. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was coming back from uh, from lunch and um, I'm walk- I was walking up. He didn't see me because it was at night. And I come walking up, and like I'm right up on him before he even sees me. And like you could, anybody that smoked weed before knows exactly what resin smells like. There's nothing else that smells like pot resin except pot resin. No, and you right. could smell it. And then all of a sudden, his hand went into his pocket, and it's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, you, you can't, you can't be out here, dude. You know that. And he's just like, oh, I was just waiting for minute. I go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're doing. So. <laughs> But, but the guy they hadn't discharged him for smoking weed in the facility so i was just like you know what Fuck it. I'll, I'll put this in my crossover in my wrap-up cro- crossover notes and i don't i don't care if the if the you know <laughs> it's it, like if the owners and the management and the lead counselor doesn't care that that somebody's doing that then i'm not i'm just like you know well, we can't enforce rules that aren't that our superiors aren't going to enforce really well,
0: well, you you can't support rules especially when you work in with client-centered care. I feel like you can't enforce rules. It's not behavior modification. And last week I heard one of the clients give one of if you ask they were trying to complain, but I thought it was one of the best compliments they could ever give. And they were talk I was talking with the director and Lee's name came up. And we were talking about Lee and and this this client started complaining, "You know, know that Lee he just he just enforces the rules like the audacity of that motherfucker because uh this kid was talking about that there's there was no women in the facility so he was sitting in the women's area you know and normally we have a very strict anti-fraternization policy no fraternizing and so yeah he was like well I was sitting over there and you know the people you have working here just they're not human they're just robots. <laughs> They're not human. And we looked at him, he's like, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, like, "Well, first, it's like if if Lee came around.
1: If oh yeah, if Lee came, yeah, Lee would tell you not to be in the women's area.
0: Big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> I I gotta say that was one of my proudest moments. That guy so. went
1: crazy about a, um, a few days later, and like I heard some crazy stories. Oh, about, yeah. well, about um like. He stole some stuff, but then there was a bunch of other sabotage shit that happened on top of that, like oh, breaking he, a bunch of sprinklers. and He did? Um, some weird He some broke weird all the
0: sprinklers. He broke into the other counselor's offices.
1: Yeah, what was that about? What happened in there? He, he
0: broke into the offices and and went through all their, their stuff looking for paperwork. and. What uh, kind of paperwork? What do you think he was looking for? I don't know. The guy was insane. The guy's wife told me that she was terrified of him. He was a, he was a nut job.
1: Yeah, that's when you just got to move, not give a forwarding address. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, that's oh. unfortunate.
0: Yeah, well, the, as you can tell, we're talking about a little bit. Uh, the raptors, as we like to call them at the ranch, are are, are nipping at the electric fence. They're, so.
1: they're nipping all right. <laughs> yeah, they're at the week to two-week um, phase, or they, they go a little
0: cuckoo. Yeah, it's kind of... It's kinda of getting wild and crazy. You know, we've had a lot of conflict going on. I mean, you know, our our head nurse, the, our detox supervising nurse quit on Christmas Day. That was a Christmas gift.
1: Oh yeah, half the staff is cleared out of the detox facility.
0: Yeah, I guess give so. me me and get give me and Jenna some credit, I guess. We're running them out of there. <laughs> no
1: <laughs> the I Pied don't think Pipers. So. I, I think it's way it's a huge improvement compared to um, what it was before. We had uh, we had Joe down there. Had the dude Joe. We'll just call him Joe. Oh God, tall Joe. I just can't see like it's like night and day between having you guys down there versus versus Joe.
0: Well, what I'll just say is my favorite, you know, memory of something that happened with that guy is a client was had had a grand mal seizure, <laughs> and Joe happened to be there, and he went to pick up the kid, and the kid immediately urinated all over him. <laughs> so nice. he so, you know, he pissed us off, but he got pissed on. He had to wash his hands before he went back to vaping. <laughs> Do you hear that? It sounds like there's a herd of killer
1: bees. It's a um, somebody's running a dishwasher or something in the next apartment over, and, and it's picking up a, a fan or uh, an appliance of some kind. Is what I think it is. You think that's what it
0: is. Maybe maybe someone's yeah. got a huge vibrator going. That's,
1: well, that's what you get for using these expensive mics. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that's true. I can tell you, you know, I bought—I th- did not buy these microphones from a s- substance abuse disorder counseling money.
1: No. Right. It's—I uh, can only imagine what your life was was like before. I've been watching. Um, I had some time off this week for working all through the holidays, and um, I've been watching that show on Showtime uh, called uh, Billions. Ooh. With uh, Damian Lewis and uh, Paul Giamatti, mm-hmm. or like two of the, the big names on that show, and oh. it kind of reminded me. There's a lot of uh, hedge fund, uh, you know, guys in in uh, in New York. A lot of trading going on and stuff like that. It kind of gives me giving me a little bit of insight on what your 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 previous career might have been like. Oh. It's pretty trippy.
0: Well, I can tell you what my previous career was like. Is if you've ever seen the movie uh, Boiler Room. Yes. That's that, a great movie. That actually. was, you know, what's funny is I didn't realize at the time that Boiler Room was like bad and <laughs> that wasn't like optimal. I quoted Boiler Room once yeah. when I went on a job interview and I told the lady, <laughs> remember the? I told this manager of this of a bank, this. I said, you know, the beauty of... When you're making calls on the phone, you can be anybody on the phone. If you want to, you can be the president of the company on the phone. You can have a fucking eight-inch cock on the phone. And I was like 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I was just like money drunk and didn't realize how wildly inappropriate I was.
1: You're going to go out on a limb and say you you didn't get the job? No, the crazy thing is I did. You did get the job? I got the job. Oh, that's a statement about the industry
0: right there. Oh yeah, the, the the girl's eyes lit up. Well, we also used to have a nickname for that boss. We she used wasn't to... imagining that eight-inch. <laughs> yeah, she, she, we what? Well, we used to call her La Patrona.
1: La Patrona. Yeah,
0: La Patrona. Simone. She was this sassy Asian woman, who sassy Asian Latina woman who loved two and a half men. We had a TV in the break room Ooh. that was. Tw- Plane, two, two and a half men, 24 hours a day. That was wow. the only thing we ever were allowed to watch there. Very bizarre. Wow, interesting.
1: Well, you yeah. should watch, if you like Boiler Room, you should go back. Have you seen uh, the movie uh Glen Gary, Glenn Ross? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, okay. I just was thinking back to the Alec Baldwin scene because they quoted, it was funny, they quoted um, in, in the first season of uh, Billions. They were they were quoting that. They probably quoted Boiler Room somewhere too. It's just, it's been so long since I've seen it, but you should check. You should check out that that show if you have a, a Showtime subscription. I
0: I uh, do actually. I have, been, I have a Showtime add on to Hulu, and I would
1: I'd love to check Unless it out. It's not a trigger. It might be tr-
0: it might be triggering for you. Oh know. God! With hit, well, you know, it's, anytime I look at people who aren't you know flat ass broke wearing twelve dollars yeah. shoes, I sometimes get triggered. Yeah. But you know our clinical supervisor actually quoted Glenn Gary Glen Ross to me. Oh really? The other day when he was talking about working with clients, he said, "You know, he said you need to ABC always be closing." Yeah, yeah. ABC with the clients and he said, "We hire winners here." Yeah. <laughs> and That's he told, right. and then he just kept it going cuz he saw I was getting the references and he said, You're a
1: "Nice guy. Fuck you." <laughs>
0: His his great quote Go home
1: early Take the kids to the park Don't give a shit
0: Do you want the Cadillac Or do you want the steak knives Yeah I was like oof Well I want the Cadillac You're in the wrong industry He said You don't deserve the leads (laughs) Oh
1: god That was a fantastic movie I love My favorite parts of that movie Are um, The Alec Baldwin scene And then of course Everybody loves the Kevin Spacey Like will you Will you go Will you Will you go to lunch That's a classic one, but but the best is really listen really closely to um, Al Pacino's dialogue. You want to hear somebody that's just completely full of shit. He doesn't say anything ever, and all his stuff is just like he talks around things, and it's very much um, like loose association. And he's just talking and talk like he'll be like, and I have this thing, and I can't I can't tell you, but. I will tell you, and you know what? It's <laughs> it's fantastic, and you know the summertime and the way things. Let me show you. And then, and he's just like he's just talking, and he just like leads you all around, and he's not really ever saying anything. And um, and and you know, it's it's fantastic. It's fantastic dialogue about just just it's just pure bullshit. Well, it's, in, it's great. It, it's
0: incredible movie.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's dark. I think it's based on somewhat on... Isn't it somewhat based on Death of a Salesman? Oh, I don't Originally? know. I have no idea. I think so.
0: Got Arthur Miller.
1: <sighs> yeah, I think so. I think
0: didn't... Uh, did
1: Mamet... Did Mamet write that? Uh, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross was in a David Mamet? We'll
0: find out. I don't know. Anyway. We'll find out from our friend Google. Well, shit, Lee. So what the hell is happening in... So I think actually we have some exciting news to tell the listeners... Uh, Lee here is about to continue his journey on and is about to take a whole new level. Lee's a big fan, as we've talked about. It. Both of us are big fans of online courses. And, I mean, th- th- that's where yes. that's where my, my possibly, my gr- other greatest favorite Lee moment was uh, we had a, a client once who was making some weird noises in the lobby and Lee said, "Oh, you know, do I need to come out there and perform CPR?"
1: Oh, there was slamming or something, and I'm like, "Hey, what? Yeah." And I'm like, "Hey, what's up? Is everything cool? Everything cool?" We open the door, and then they're like, "Oh, everything's fine." I go, "We don't need to do CPR, do we?" And <laughs> like, "No, no." I'm like, "I took an online class." <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, "What?
0: What? What do you mean?" I'm like, we do all yeah. of our training via online coursework. Yes. And then the great thing was. I then went, I had to renew my CPR certification, so I went online to the, uh, I think it's the National CPR Institute, which sounds mm-hmm. very legitimate, and I entered my credit it card is. number. It's legitimate. I took I took the, I skipped the coursework and went straight to the exam Yeah. and passed.
1: It takes longer to uh, enter your credit card information <laughs> than it does to take the exam. It does. But if you read, you can actually, it's good um, coursework if you actually... You know, want to sit down and, and do the whole thing and read it.
0: God, I love
1: the word. I love the word
0: coursework. Coursework? Yeah. Is it, why? I why don't is know. It, it just it, the way it comes off the tongue. I mean, because think about this: when you say, you know, you could say coursework like, or, or cur- curriculum, curriculum or uh, fancy. It sounds Latin. It it's. I mean, curriculum sounds like something from a university, whereas coursework sounds like something from the you know the. uh. Ohio State Technical Institute.
1: Sounds like going out on the golf course or something. Doing
0: some coursework today
1: <laughs> out on the out on the back nine.
0: Yeah, I gotta work on my short game.
1: Yeah. No, online classes are great, you know. It well, works. I'm I'm not opposed to like I le- I like lectures, like I, I but it's just for where I'm at and the the colleges that are um within, you know, driving distance of me and just this the whole thing. It just fits my lifestyle. Oh yeah. Better, I where I could just sort of set my own pace and put in time when I have the time, rather than um, trying to schedule my work days and everything else around having to go in and sit for lectures and. Well,
0: and that's. Whatnot. I mean, tell I I did you know my coursework through them, through the same place for my you know counseling stuff, and I got to say, with the greatest gifts of that was. When I first started, I was working a lot of p.m. shifts, you know, three o'clock till midnight, and I'd come home and sit down and do work, you know, log on, do homework from like, you know, midnight, you know, one, two, you know, I'd submit essays and discussion posts at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, then go to bed. I mean, it just, it fit, it fit my schedule. It was freaking amazing. And you can do anything. I'm actually have been looking at even master's programs that are online with Mm -hmm. really prestigious universities. It's the way to go. Why go in? Oh my gosh! I mean, why limit yourself with the places that are available right next to you when you can, you know, literally have access to that from anywhere? Yeah, and it's brilliant. It's I love new, it. It's I'm, a new
1: age. It's the future we were promised. <laughs> it's computers to do things.
0: Dude, so, so so you spend a ton of time today doing a bunch of research for the show. What what do you want to want to go over? Oh uh, well, I just I I just
1: I didn't want us to just flounder around. Um, all night or whatever, but I mean, we it, not that I'm opposed to that. I just, I just Founder. tried to, I try to do before we come in for the podcast. We don't always get into it, but I, I try to just pull up like some headlines and, um you know, uh, I almost feel like it would be once in a while be beneficial to have like a segment. Oh, the background noise disappeared. Uh, have like a segment where we just headline news today in addiction you know, <laughs> you know.
0: We, we, we can do that hepatitis outbreak in Montana oh, you know but man. but no
1: so I went and I just re- wait, I, wait hold on hold on let's let's Googled do
0: that like, wait hold on hold on I got an idiot okay all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the, the don't die news is about to begin, begin okay so hold on just a second let me let me cue this up let's see if this works hold on Now breaking from the Don't Die newsroom.
1: All right. Well, welcome to 2000, uh, 2019, everybody. Uh, we have uh, late breaking news here on uh, our old friend hepatitis is back.
0: Oh, not hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but there is um, an addiction news tonight, or addiction-related news. Um, we have some pretty major uh, hepatitis outbreaks going on. In uh, Louisiana, California, Utah, New Mexico, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, Florida, North Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, and Massachusetts. Good God! So, um,
0: do we, do you actually know? You know how many types? I uh, uh, types of check
1: this out. San Diego is topping the chart. Well, okay, so Wait. some of these places, Louisiana had 28 cases um, last year during the period of time where where this was measured. So, I mean, this is not like in the past month or anything like that, these stats were collected from from last year, but um, I guess twenty eight cases would be considered a lot in um, for a state like Louisiana. But I got to say, San Diego is topping the charge uh, the charts at six hundred. Now I don't know where that stat comes from as far as like how from what period of time to what period of time, but um, I did see as part of this story that um, San Diego. Um, their numbers were just way higher Whoa. for hospital visits, and they're, they're actually hosing the streets down with bleach solution. So their homeless uh, situation is just out of control down there
0: right now. Wait, these numbers have to on. be higher because I just pulled up this other stat because I know hepatitis is actually the disease, the STI or just in disease in general that is the most prevalent mm-hmm. throughout the world. So check this stat out, 240 million people are infected with hepatitis B worldwide, 786,000 people die yearly, and hepatitis B is the leading cause of liver cirrhosis, so... Well, yeah, I
1: mean, factoring third world countries and stuff like that, there's... But um, for for us over here, I think it was just for the first, this might have been just a six month stat, like for the first... You know, for the first half of uh, t- uh, two thousand eighteen, but I'm not I'm not entirely certain. But it's it's an issue, and the, re- the reason why it popped up is because um, it just sort of um, it ties into intravenous drug use. The po- the our homeless, um, you know, or disenfranchised, you know, homeless population um, is on the rise and with that becomes all kinds of sanitation issues. Like there's different ways you I guess you get hepatitis from close contact with people. Um sometimes using needles, it can be transmitted sexually, food, sharing food and stuff like that. Yeah, dependent
0: so. dependent on the type of hepatitis there's five type there's five different types of hepatitis, right? A, B, C, D, and E, I think, yeah, right?
1: I don't know that much about it. I'm just I'm just I'm vomiting statistics right now. Just <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to be
0: provocative. God damn it, if you want <laughs> if you want <laughs> who needs the facts when you're being provocative? Well, if you want to hear another really okay, this is a crazy stat. I just I just I don't know cuz I was I was desperately looking on the CDC website for uh-huh. information to disprove you, but I couldn't find that. But what I did come across, which is interesting, is a study here about excessive alcohol use and yeah. that the cost of excessive alcohol use to our economy Is two hundred and fifty billion dollars annually, which which equates out to about two dollars. So for every two dollars that some, for every drink that people drink, there's a two dollar and five cent economic cost of lost productivity due to excessive drinking and drunkenness.
1: And that's just what they think they can measure. Yeah, you know how? Yeah, I mean we're still seeing we're seeing at least wouldn't you say Neil at least fifty percent. The people that come into treatment are for alcohol. Oh, at least more, two, more like two thirds. Fifty percent to two thirds. Yeah,
0: where we work, I'd say two thirds. Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's
1: what, I, that's what I'm thinking.
0: But and you know, it's I mean, it's what's shocking, at least to me, is how much, you know, people who are in there for alcohol seem to think that they're better than people who are there for drugs, or people who are there for drugs don't think they're different than people. Yeah, alcohol. it's
1: like, isn't that be crazy? I mean, think about it. Think if you're in there. Uh, you know, like the the a lot of the drug people uh, think they can drink. Yeah, it's like, look, don't you don't you get it? Most of the people are here from booze, so obviously that's not a solution. You know, to this yeah. this problem, whatever you're using your substance for, if you substitute it for, it's like, and the you, do you see the alcohol people going? You know, this booze thing's not working. I think I'll try heroin. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like what it, like so what about this other drug like you see these people over here who you don't think you're like because you don't want to go to the same meetings as as they as them. and oh, it's yeah. like you see what this has done to them and yet you think, I mean, who does that? Like who walks into a fire like you see somebody that's just like, like half burnt to death from a fire, and go. You know what? I could walk through that fire.
0: <laughs> you know you who know? does that?
1: Alcoholics, insane people. And I was talking about that in, in group. I finally got to bring that up, and it, it went over really well because uh, it occurred to me that um, when we get when people that get sick from like cancer or leukemia, and actually get treated for it, and I just use cancer for an example because it's it's so prevalent and it's such a horrible. You know, almost everybody's been touched by it in sure. one way or another. And it's like, you know, nobody, who who gets, you know, like who gets cured like from or treated for cancer gets better. And then about, a, you know, a couple weeks or a month later goes, you know what? You know what sounds good? I think I want some more cancer. <laughs> I'm going
0: to go out and find. Is there a cancer bar on here? In You know, the cancers... I cancer. I miss that
1: cinnamon flavored cancer. I want some of that. <laughs>
0: The cancer just wasn't that bad.
1: Yeah, it just—it's like really, but we do that with addiction. So that just shows you how dangerous the, the disorder is. It wants to trick us into thinking that, um, it's not trying to kill us. But we don't do that with other diseases. You know, you know what sounds good? I want some more diabetes. (laughs) You know, that sounds great. I lost me. You know, my left foot was just amputated, but
0: I got a right foot.
1: This new foot's working out really well. (laughs) Fuck
0: it. (laughs) Well, I mean, and. And that's what some people would say is, so here's what, here's, you know, if you've got your old AA Bible thumper type people, you'd have them coming in saying, well, that's your disease, they're talking, trying to kill you. But then you have, you know, your, uh, your empirical, your evidence-based people who are saying, well, actually, that is a hijacking of the brain, and that is, you know, you're... Your, your brain is now, is its survival mechanism is now telling you that it needs drugs to survive, and that it no right. longer needs food, sex, or you know, shelter. The most important thing is it's is the drugs.
1: It's going, yeah, it's going to um, a neural pathway that's been established. There we go. That worked over and over and over again. Sure. And it worked, and then and it does work. Like you, you're drinking. Um, you know, there's certainly a, enough people out there that are drinking. You're drinking for an effect, right? And so your brain, whatever obviously, whatever the goal is, there's a goal, and then there is something you choose, you know, to attain that goal. And once that goal is attained, a neural pathway is established, right? And then the more times that you use that same solution to you know attain that goal that neural pathway gets deeper and deeper and deeper and that's why it's so hard to rewire you know the longer we do it the harder it is to rewire that and of course your brain you know I try to tell people like don't feel bad like it's not a moral thing like you're just you're doing what your brain is telling you to do sure but you just need to be aware that this is no longer the correct information <laughs> for you this is harm this is now a form of
0: self harm Well, it's a conditioned response. Yeah. You know, you've just slammed in and in and in and in. Absolutely. So you got to wire up new neural pathways
1: and like meetings and, and, you know, focusing on, uh, you know, forms of self care and things like that and getting that result. And once our brains start making, you know, the proper levels of like dopamine and things like that, then you can say, oh, okay. So you can create new neural pathways say, well, when I go and I work out, I get this dopamine, or when I go and I don't care, you know, go go home and jerk off or whatever it is, you know, meditate, um, be of service, where it's things that make you feel good and uh, create new neural pathways that are associated with the reward system in your brain. You you are creating a new, uh, you're modifying your your uh, neuron. uh, I guess your neural network would that be the yeah that would be applicable is that, is that a clinical enough term
0: eh, it's gonna be clinical enough for our listeners <laughs> okay that sounded a little pejorative but i'll go let's go with it well you know what i will say though is in my own life that's the reason i got into running was because you know what are endorphins endorphins really activate natural opioid receptors in your brain i love i was just talking about this earlier i love opiates Alcohol was never my thing. I loved opiates though, yeah. and so I was drawn to trying to find a new way of releasing those same chemicals. And happens to be that I love fucking exercise. I mean, I'm a nut. I'm a crazed maniac when it comes to cardiovascular stuff. Like tonight, when we were gonna record, I totally well, you know, sorry guy, I've got class from seven to yeah. Three. I knew it wasn't counselor classy. <laughs> <laughs> Some other kind of class. No, that's great. Yeah, and actually. <clears throat> was that a boat horn? I don't know what that was I could have sworn I do live next to the river Don't worry though listeners I'm not in a van down by the river just I mean, now the river. the Huns are kind of, bur, bur, bur. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually about to start doing a uh, I'm gonna have for the right now I'm gonna be doing two different uh, challenges at the gym at my spin studio I'm doing a challenge to go there to ride every single day. And I'm also starting a three-month-long 90-day challenge at this other gym I go to called the Academy Training and Performance Center. I'll give them a plug here in Sacramento. So just get ready to watch your buddy here, Neil, fucking shimmer away. I'm planning on dropping like 10% body fat. Nice. That's awesome. I know. I need to get on the diet you're on because, Lee, I know this isn't a visual podcast, but... If it was, you would need a, you would need a smaller monitor to see Lee. I don't know. he's kind of drifting away.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I've been on um, Vinny's Vinny Tortorich's uh, diet. How do no you no sugar?
0: No sugar, no grains. How, how do you feel from that? I mean, um, I
1: feel good. I feel good. Uh, the only negative side effects I've noticed from it are um, well, this particular diet, it's not a keto. Uh, diet, but it does send your body into ketosis if you're doing it right. Ooh, and so you dump a lot of water, and you just you need you need to make sure you stay really dehydrated, and uh, you need to replenish your electrolytes because you dump a lot of electrolytes when you're dumping a lot of your stored up uh, water. So you want to eat foods that are high in uh, potassium and magnesium, or you get headaches. Really, like you can get headaches, and that's. You can get the headaches from being dehydrated. So, you know, things like almonds and you just got to look up foods like like dark vegetables. Spinach is a good one for magnesium. So, like, uh, so yeah, they, it's pretty you, good. There's a lot of good food that you can eat, but you just eat off of – he kind of gives you uh, – this guy, he's a celebrity trainer. I've heard him on Drew Pinsky's podcast, and uh, he's got his own podcast. And his, he's got a book called um, Fitness Confidential. It's kind of like a play on Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen (laughs) Confidential, you know. I'm thinking, but he's called. um, Yeah, he developed this diet because he he um, he found himself uh, he got leukemia, and um, he was getting really sick, and uh, he didn't like what the doctors were telling him, and so he created this new diet. Just changed his life. It got all his. Um, He ended up like beating leukemia. I mean, I hope I'm not screwing the story up, but like I think he beat leukemia, and um, all the other sort of um, problems he was having with his body. It just it really levels out your um, your blood sugar. You're you're cutting sugar and grains out, which grains is a large source of um, they get converted to like glucose. I guess is my understanding. Like they get converted to sugars. All grains do. Really? And the yeah, carbohydrates get converted to sugars. So it's all about limiting. And like, there's some people, health and fitness people that argue with them, but um, it mimics, it mimics the Atkins diet. It mimics a, a keto diet and it's really high in like um, healthy fats like avocados and olives and um, things that have the, uh, you know, that are high and you know, omegas. And, you know, omega-5, omega-3, and just, yeah, just sticking to that, man. Dropping a lot of weight, it clicks your body into a fat-burning mode.
0: Well, here's the only question that matters. How do you feel? I feel fine. Do You feel feel good?
1: good? I feel better, yeah. I I feel better than I did before. Before, I was, um, like, I felt like I was always craving foods and i was having a lot more blood sugar spikes before where in the afternoons like in between breakfast and and lunch because i'd be working like a uh an afternoon you know a p.m was like a swing shift so i would eat between 12 and 1 i would eat a breakfast and then by like three or four o'clock my body would be crashing so like Mm -hmm. i eliminated no uh I don't use artificial. I don't use coffee sweeteners or coffee creamers, any of that crap anymore. Really? That stuff's really bad for you. I stopped drinking soda. Um, it's a really big, actually, pretty radical change in my diet from where I was before. And there's just so much stuff like, uh, like eating popcorn. Did you know that in a cup of popcorn, like when you eat just like a, a cup of pop popcorn, has uh, like 30 grams of carbohydrates. Really? And, and, and to keep your body in ketosis, you're, really, you're trying to keep it around 50 grams a day. And like the, the U.S., uh, I think it was the USDA, I mean, your standard recommendation for carbohydrates for a regular person, I think it's like 100 to 120, they say. But still, that would be like just a cup of popcorn that's like, even if you're just going by what the USDA says is okay, that's like a quarter of your all your daily carbs just in what's that? And so I thought it's that was nothing. a good step. I'd go home and eat, you know, instead of uh, you know getting eating some like ice cream or eating fucking Doritos or just whatever. Like you, you can get home at night, even though you've had your, um, I mean, I had my dinner around eight o'clock or whatever, I'd be hungry and I would I would do that, you know. I would eat popcorn and not realizing that I'm just loading. I'm just carb loading, which is horrible. So now I just like at night. It's just like uh, yeah, it's like some avocados and uh, some black olives. Maybe some, maybe some lunch meat or some some cheese. Well, mm. I'll take some cheese, like some mozzarella cheese, fried up in a pan until it gets brown on the bottom, and then dip that in some tomato sauce. You know, so it, and it, you get more satiated. Your body does not get satiated when you're eating carbohydrates. It just wants more and more and more. You need a whole bag of chips. You want another one. You need two bags of chips. You're still not full. You don't feel full because it's not releasing um, peptin, which is the uh, hormone that um, tells your your brain, your stomach to sends it to your brain to tell your brain that it's full. Jesus and Christ, Dr. Doesn't, Drew. doesn't get... Released so, yeah. how the fuck do you, huh. I've been doing a lot of research on this shit because I could not <laughs> fucking clearly. lose weight and it was driving me nuts, Neil. And I can't afford, as you know, uh, anybody that knows me knows that um, I won't spend more than $12 on work shoes, <laughs> so and that's not that's out of necessity.
0: <laughs> you know, it's a good thing that wa- uh, Walmart's starting to carry so, a new uh. $11 shoe line. $11 shoe line? <laughs>
1: yeah. all about it. No, but um it's so yeah, I didn't want to my clothes were starting to starting to get a little tight and I can't afford to New wardrobe. I don't want to I don't want to buy new clothes. I'm fine with what I have. There is literally
0: like. nothing sadder in the world than when you have to go and size everything up. No, fuck that, dude. I'm not I'm staying at large. I'm not
1: going to extra large. Yeah.
0: Oh, dude, I'm with you there. I no. there was a period of time when I was dancing the double extra large dance at Walmart. And that is yeah. an ugly, scary time. I will tell you with extreme pride now mm. that depending on the brand of clothes—it's either large and or medium—and oh,
1: that's a Walmart double XL. That's, oh. that's not a your normal your normal double. No. Nowadays the cuts are so much slimmer that your
0: normal uh, everything's kind of went down. Yeah. A size. Oh so. yeah. Well, that's the great thing. That's one that's th- good, reason though. I love Walmart because at Walmart I buy mediums of some things. I'm like, yeah. Wow, oh, that's awesome. I haven't worn a medium since. But then, you know, in other things it's like, you know, large or extra large, but
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm in I'm in the large zone right now and I'm trying to stay there.
0: That's a good place to be, frankly. It's
1: better than the alternative. I don't want to have to I don't have to have somebody roll me roll me into work from my car.
0: That's not good. <laughs> it's easier to roll than to walk. Oh god. Well, you know, it, it gets it what gets really, really bad. Is, uh, have you ever seen the show, My 600-Pound Life?
1: No, I can't watch those shows. Oh, God. I can't. And it freaks me out because you know what I learned um, a while back, and I'm hearing a lot of other nutritionists, and there's a lot of corroborating evidence out there that um, it's one of the other reasons why I'm getting away from sugar is because can't my family's riddled with cancer, and there's a ton of research out there that shows that um, cancer is directly related to sugar intake, that it – the cancer wait, once wait, it gets wait, wait, going, wait. what cancer feeds on sugar? It eats really. Sugar. It eats sugar. Um, what I found out, and this is uh, listening to, and I'm 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 sort of quoting. I haven't read this as medical information, but I'm I'm heard doctors talk about this uh-huh. on podcasts and like what cancer actually is is there's a mechanism in our body okay. that repairs that re- repairs. Um, cells as they there's a certain amount of cells as your cells reproduce that don't get reproduced properly there's okay. they're defective and there's a mechanism in our bodies in our in our you know it's passed down in our I think in our epigenetics is what it's called and it it's a repair mechanism and it goes and the pro, and the problem is some people don't have that repair mechanism is is broke it doesn't work correctly and so it's not that you have more irregular cells being reproduced. I used to think it was just people that had cancer just had more irregular... Well, yeah, yeah they're sure. present. It's because the repair mechanism doesn't repair them. And so I guess there's a lot of stuff that you can do that diet-related to, to that. But the main thing with the sugar is also, it's, it's a double-edged sword because cancer supposedly feeds on sugar and also sugar causes inflammation and inflammation um is it's
0: not what fight it's is really fights bad or...
1: it's really bad for cancer oh. it promotes like it, like inflammation and in, internal inflammation um is is uh, linked to cancer also dude you've then, really done your homework yeah it can affect your, your sleep too like um you know your diet and all that stuff that'll attest to sugar and like the, uh, the thing with sleep also that I, I, I learned this past year that's really fascinating is that when we don't get enough sleep, now they've linked it to, well, they've linked it to heart heart disease, diabetes, um, and uh, also that um, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's because when we sleep, we, when we go into our deep REM cycles of sleep, we have... These there's a mechanism in our brains. Our brains collect plaque, just like we get plaque in our mouths and in mm-hmm. our arteries. Okay. And w- only in our deep REM cycle of sleep, this mechanism gets um, deployed that cleans out the plaque no, in our brains. What? And when we don't when we sleep deprive ourselves for years and years and years, this plaque just builds up and then we go cuckoo. We get dementia and <laughs> Alzheimer's, and they're what? thinking so. Sleep's really important. So this ties. Now we're tied back into addiction. What? In our addiction and alcohol use, that fucks our sleep up, man. Of course, absolutely. People think it helps you sleep better. It doesn't. It helps you fall asleep, but it, it interrupts your uh, your REM sleep, and not to mention a, a host
0: of other things. Well, here. is it during REM sleep that you have dreams? Like is. <sighs>
1: That too, yeah. There's different REM cycles where you um, where you dream.
0: Because I think one of the most common things that people tell me when they come in straight into detox is after a couple of days, I'm dreaming for the first time in years or they're having very vivid dreams or yeah. using dreams or recurring dreams. But dreams suddenly occur. So I'm wondering if that doesn't happen when you're sleep deprived.
1: Well, there's some... I think there's some myths about that. I know that we can start dreaming like immediately, even as we're falling asleep. And the first minute or two of us falling asleep, we can have dreams
0: Really, that
1: happens. I think there's just something that we're not, our brains aren't working uh, properly and that we're not remembering our dreams. But I'm not I'm not 100% mm. on that, but I did experience the same things myself, especially when I was smoking pot. Um, I never got good sleep drinking, I would always, wake up and then have a hard time going back to sleep and Mm -hmm. you have like all those foods in your stomach and you're not digesting your food properly and then with with when i smoked a lot of pot um i just wouldn't remember i used to get two things night sweats i used to get a lot of night sweats and then not remember my my dreams and i don't get night sweats anymore and i um i definitely remember my dreams on a regular Basis.
0: oh my dreams now I really know what's ha- happened oh yeah for like an hour or two sometimes I mean I could even recall my dreams I've had you know for a couple and they're always they're very relevant I've noticed they're mm-hmm. you know it's like it's not to the point where I can like choose or, or decide what what to I'm gonna dream about but it's always like about something related to something that's going on like I had I had a, a co-worker over here a good friend of mine the other night and we were talking about some stuff and that night I had dreams, this person, she just filled my dreams the entire night, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't about what we were talking about earlier, but she was present in the whole thing. And I yeah. woke up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. I was like, wait, did that really happen? I had to check my phone be like, oh, did you? Okay, no, never mind. <laughs> no, I have the
1: same experience. I can always tie it to um, events that have happened earlier in the day, something I was thinking about or something I experienced. and It'll be like a collage. Yeah. Of different things. It'll be something from over here, something from over there, and then something, you know, a third, maybe a third element, like two or three elements come together, and it becomes this bizarro movie of, you know, just kind of surrealness.
0: Well, and what's interesting is when people come in, like in, first quit drinking or quit using, those dreams are often nightmarish, and they're incredibly vivid and about using because... You know, so there's the whole concept is that when you are using drugs, you cannot. So we as humans, you cannot selectively numb emotion. Right. So when you start taking drugs and you numb everything, so you numb the pain, you numb pleasure, you numb your fears, you numb this. And so when you suddenly take that away that's your your emotions are not being suppressed anymore. So they all suddenly rise up to the surface. So you've got a a sudden rush of new feelings and emotions that are coming out and are present in your conscious day as well as in your unconscious day. So when you're sleeping, you suddenly have these wild, crazy dreams and thoughts, and it just runs rampant. And interestingly, that is one of the criteria that insurance companies use to dictate if you need to, to remain in treatment is, are you having vivid dreams or nightmares? Are you having using dreams? Are you having yeah. dreams about drug use?
1: I had a lot of those. Um, I had a lot of using dreams for my first six months of uh, sobriety.
0: And, but what's what's really interesting is, did you know do you happen to remember, if in those dreams it was that you were using and it was like fun, or did you use in the dreams and then it was like, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I get drunk? Why did I get high?
1: It was um that's a good I that's a great question. Um yeah, I know I do remember and, and most of the time I was around I was around the drugs and not and not wanting to use them and not partaking. And yeah. then occasionally I found myself Partaking now in inside the dream, I was always I was ninety percent of the time I was aware that it was a dream. Like it's like I'm in the dream, but I know I'm dreaming. Really? So there's some separation. Yeah, like so like I'm aware that okay I'm dreaming right now and this isn't real. And what? but then every once in a while, um, in a super deep sleep or something, you're like deep deep in a REM in a REM sleep, a dream actually becomes. You know real where it's it's real but i can almost always tell that like i know i'm aware that it's actually a dream while i'm dreaming What? but every once in a while i'd I'd wake up kind of panicky like fuck i just lost my sobriety and then realize oh no i didn't it was just a dream
0: what's that shit called when you're able to control your dreams um, I don't know. I've heard the term lucid
1: dreaming, but that, that, yeah. that's different.
0: Well, what uh, so lucid dreaming is the ability to know that you're dreaming while you're dreaming, and to so be able, I
1: do that then.
0: Yeah, and once you're loop lucid, you can explore and even change elements of your dream. So you're like conscious and well,
1: I can definitely wake myself up like from in the dream when the dream so when starts to go bad in the dream. No I'll way. just be like, all right, that's it. It's time to wake up, and then all of a sudden, I'll just wake up.
0: Are you freaking serious? Yeah,
1: no, I'm dead serious. It happens all the time, and I don't have nightmares very often. Um, It's rare that I have any kind of like what you call a bad dream, but yeah, I've had dreams before that were turning violent, where someone was, you know, where I was about to die, and I always, I just go, okay, I'm done, you know, I'm done. Lights on, you know, and I just wake up. I pull myself right out of it.
0: You know what's interesting is that in your dream, if you dream that you're going to die, and then in your dream you dream that you die, you immediately wake up. Because your brain cannot process the thought of being dead. Yeah. Because you don't know what death is. Think about it, if you have a dream, and like you get into some sort of an, an incident, you will never die and then go to heaven, or die and go... And it, it's always uh-huh. that you die, and you are awakened instantly. Yeah,
1: well, that's all we've known. All we don't know...
0: Well, even if we sat here right now, Lee, and I asked you to you know, really think about your death, to talk about death, like mm-hmm. what death is, like what'll happen when you die, your, your brain, you can't process the idea of really visualizing and really playing through your own death for more than a couple seconds. It's one of the most uncomfortable things you can really think about. Unless for some people. You, for, I'd, I'd say for most, unless you're suffering from yeah. some real major mental illness, and then you're able to think about it, but... Well, I, I would think argue. it's a big. I think
1: it's a big arc in a person's spiritual uh, journey. I mean, losing fear of death, like, <sighs> and I don't think it ever goes away completely because everybody has a certain fear of the unknown. But um, when you, I, I'll tell you when if you when you work from the premise that. Um, the, your your energy has always, you know, existed. If you go from this idea that, that your energy, your spirit, your soul is eternal and has always existed and will always exist, then um, definitely your fear of death uh, can be greatly diminished. But, you know, that's sure, one okay. way of thinking. But when you think, if people that think, and that also ties into, I think, addiction and hedonism and and just as carnal, you know, just being super carnal in your your orientation. It's so like if we, if I think, well, if this is my only life, if this is all there is, well, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to just fucking go, go, go. You know what I True. mean? True. So, Want to cram every experience
0: you can out of every second?
1: Um, you know, the truth is nobody knows. Um, nobody knows the truth or, or what, what happens, but um, there's a lot of philosophers I've, um, I was reading a thing with, uh, I want to say, I think it was Aristotle. Um, it's crazy, this guy, and I'm paraphrasing the story, but it was, it was it was really cool. I was looking for quotes, and this quote came up, and I really liked it. And this guy, this man comes to see Aristotle, and uh, he's got this problem. And he's like, you know, there's this guy, and he's, he's in my house, and um, he's... He's not a very smart man. He goes, but and he's, you know, and he knows this, this geometry, this math, and I don't know how he's learned it, you know, and it's it's confounding me. And Aristotle says, well, um, has this man always been in your house? And he says, yes. Yeah. So apparently, this guy was raised from a boy, in this in in his in his home. And now all of a sudden he's trying to figure out and he's doing all this crazy math and he's like, where the fuck did this guy learn this stuff? You know, there's (laughs) no school. I haven't, he's never been away. Like he's confounded. He's like, how does he know this? How does he have this knowledge? And Aristotle says, hmm. He ponders it for a minute. He goes, well, he goes, and this man has always been in your house and has never left. And he says, yes. And he says, well, he said, then, He said, then be of good cheer. He said, uh, because he says, if, no, he says, if the soul is immortal and has always existed, he said, then be of good cheer and ask yourself um, not what you have forgotten or not what you do not, what is it? Oh, ask yourself not what you have forgotten, but what you, no, no, no. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me, I'm going to (laughs) stop. If the soul is immortal and has always existed, then be of good cheer And do not ask yourself what you do not know, but ask yourself what you have forgotten. Ah. In other words, and his premise is that this guy attained this knowledge in a prior existence, in a prior dispensation
0: of time. So... I actually completely get that.
1: <laughs> Is that no, fucking heavy or what? That's heavy. And then, and then Aristotle goes, but I didn't, I'm i not sure. <laughs> then he like, and he goes, and I think it's a conversation between, I think it's Aristotle and Menos. Um, oh, but Jesus I've, Jesus. I've tried to find that quote, and I, I haven't been able to relocate it. I found it once, and I wrote it. I've got it written down somewhere. It's just a really cool quote about the soul being eternal and us having that knowledge comes to us from some other place. And so, so how is that possible?
0: I, I do think actually, though, that even though I'm a very, I don't, I don't know. What I'll just say is I get that and I relate and I believe, I do believe actually in past life and past experience. And we've actually been able, science has been able to prove that there can be genetically passed on generational memory. Yeah, generational memory from times long before. Like, I actually think that myself. My mom has said this. I've had other people in my life say that they believe that I actually lived and died on the Titanic. Because
1: I, I've heard these references to the Titanic before. That's 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 pretty interesting. And
0: I, as a very young kid, like when I was, my mom was showing me some stuff this last time when I was home for Christmas. When I was four years old. I was obsessed with the Titanic. Before I could even read, I had this drawn fascination to it to the point where before I could read, my mom had this old VHS tape of the movie A Night to Remember, which is a horrible, horrible 50s Titanic movie. But I used to watch it over and over again. She actually drew a picture on the cassette of a boat Mm because I couldn't read and I wanted to pick it out and watch it. And I would build models and I liked to study and read. I mean, and now this was in... I'm talking like 92, 93. This was years before there was any Hollywood Titanic, inter, you know, any right, of this shit.
1: Right. There's no reason for you to be drawn to this person. No,
0: it's like as a fucking four year old. Well, there child. is a reason.
1: It's just there's no obvious reason. No,
0: yeah. yeah. And I mean, my entire life I've been very drawn to this, uh, the idea of incredible service, like of being like a servant type to like the very wealthy type. Like, I feel like I was maybe like a crew member and it was like the ultimate act of like. Uh, of being a gentleman Of like you know Putting someone in a lifeboat And drowning With, you know, with dignity Dude, I don't know It's totally possible um, I gotta
1: get you this um, Documentary I saw this documentary On Netflix About reincarnation Cause I've never been Really big on it I haven't Had never given it Much thought But what you just said About epigenetics Does tie into that About trauma Being passed down Through our Through the gene pool You know Transgenerational oh, yeah. trauma but no, I watched something really similar to what you're saying on a, and I'll get you the name of it. I don't know the name of it um, off offhand, but it was about reincarnation. It was a documentary on Netflix, and it's about this kid. This kid um, starts having these nightmares when he's l- like two and three years old, and he's just he ends up being obsessed with planes, and he's re- he reenacts this thing over and over of this guy like kicking his way out of a cockpit. And as he gets older, more information comes out. He starts naming names and, and stuff, and he's, he, he calls himself by this other name. Well, they end up, his parents don't believe in reincarnation. They're hardcore Christians, and they're just like, yeah, we can't. We, but his dad finally says, fuck it, this is something's wrong with my kid, and I gotta figure this out, because he wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, every night, like literally every night would have this dream. And you go into this kid's room and everything's airplanes. Every he's just obsessed with planes. And then he um and he calls himself the a name, like his name's Bob or whatever. And so then the father starts doing research and he finds this World War Two pilot by the same by the name that this kid's calling himself and it and the guy goes down in a plane and has to kick his way out. Like literally the, the way this guy dies in a plane is exactly how his kid's reenacting it. And then to take it even further, when the kid becomes like five years old, he starts talking about other people that this guy, he goes, oh, and by the way, dad, he goes, um, he goes, Joe and Billy and Fred and Tom are all in heaven. And they want you guys to know, they want everyone to know that everything's okay. And so the fucking dad looks up, turns out there's he finds a photo of Joe and Bill and Tom. These were other pilots that this guy knew.
0: What the fuck?
1: And the guy, and these, it's fucking insane, dude. And so then the guy's, the kid is like, his body is possessed like the spirit. And then finally, when he's like seven years old, oh, you want to hear it gets even deeper, dude. And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, I picked you. I picked you. He's like, why? Why are you in my son's body or whatever? And he's like, I picked you. I picked you to be my parents. He goes, I saw you. I saw you in a giant pink building with palm trees. Come to find out this kid was conceived in Hawaii at a pink, a giant pink hotel (laughs)
0: <laughs> with palm,
1: with palm trees. No. That was the night. The night that he was conceived what? was, you know, the like he saw like, and they're just like, holy shit! How can he possibly know this stuff? So they take him out. They go to Hawaii. They take him out, like close to the crash site of where they think this guy's plane went down, and uh, they do like a funeral and like they they um, uh, memorialize this guy, and have his kid um, say goodbye. And he's like, you gotta let him go. You gotta let him go. You gotta say goodbye. And the kid's just weeping and he's just, he can't. And then finally, and he says goodbye. And then after that, it's like the kid actually has like a personality change, like goes through and becomes like his, who he's supposed to be. The dreams go away. Everything goes away. The only thing that doesn't go away is his obsession with uh, being a pilot. And they follow the story up until the kid's 12 years old. And it's like, all the dreams, all the shit goes away. He never talks about this guy again. And uh, it's fucking heavy, man. I couldn't believe. And that actually, I was having, uh, like, I was in a crisis of faith at the time. And was really um, struggling with having a belief in God or whatever. And then I saw that. And I was like that really helped me out that helped me actually with my recovery and this idea of you know accepting that a higher power that something else is in control and i'm not and that that things are happening outside my control that are good and positive i don't need to worry about it i don't need to worry about i can just let go and um and you know sort of assume and the whole thing is that and that's what strengthens my belief, Neil. I know you're, you're a bit of an atheist, but um, mm-hmm. my belief in an afterlife
0: uh-huh.
1: was the part yeah. of this story where these guys are saying, and I've heard this before where people are talking to you from, from heaven, and I don't think everybody's running around in white light and all that, but you know, we just don't know what kind of shape or form our energy no. transcends to. Um, our body does weigh less after we die, so they say the soul has a a weight. It's like eight ounces or something like that. I have
0: heard that actually. Yeah.
1: So who the hell knows, man? This is, we don't get all the answers in this life, and I think that's part of what makes us want to drink and use. <laughs> I really do think that's one of the core things that because there's something in our brain that tells us that we are not being told the fucking truth of everything here, and it really fucks with our heads that we don't know exactly what's going on and we can only we only have part of the puzzle in this existence yeah and i think drinking and using distracts us from that and the idea that um you know we're mortal and maybe this is all there is or or whatever but Fuck. that's who heavy
0: who knows the shadow knows <laughs> <laughs> wow well Demon's you know what i say boy, you've yeah. given me Give me a lot to think about. I think I know what I'll be doing tonight, uh, after we finish cutting this podcast is watching some Netflix.
1: We're gonna find that documentary.
0: I'm gonna find that documentary. That's freaking heavy, Lee. Um that's all I got for tonight. Do you have any final final that was a heavy thought, man. I, I think we might want to just mic drop on that.
1: I think that's a good closer, man. Yeah. You know, the um that we we don't know. There's so much shit we don't know, and that's I'm learning that in my journey. It's that goes back to sort of um, my journey in, in in counseling and trying to help people and stuff like that as I've really had a change in attitude with um, I, I think it's I, I just don't know I try to start off every day with I don't fucking know yeah I don't know I don't have the answers I don't have the solutions all these things are theories and ideas and even science because science changes and that's great but let's just stay open. Let's stay open to any and all uh, solutions and not judge anything as being an absolute.
0: There's only one absolute. The only absolute is to not die. (laughs) (laughs) to not die. Yeah, I'm sponsoring this kid right now. And he was asking me, like, what do I need to do? Are you going to make me read?" I said, no, man. I said, I don't care. you fucking stay sober until you figure it out. Yeah, I so said, just don't die before you figure out the solution. Yeah. I don't really care. I told him, and he's, this because this kid has been through 12-step world before. He's been through alcoholics and he been through all this shit. He's like, are you going to tell me I have to do the right of gratitude? I said, I said no. I said, I'm not even going to sit here and read the book with you. <laughs> yeah. The guy looked at me all fucking crazy. He's like, what? And I was like, no. I said, man, you, you can read the book. You can do that. I said, you know, I'm just gonna hear it. I'm gonna guide you to take you through the steps. I said, I'm not gonna be your counselor, I'm not gonna be your therapist, I'm not gonna be your best friend. I'll take you through the steps and I'll tell you what's worked for me. And I said, the only thing I said, I, I I don't really care what you do. I said, the only thing I care about what you do is that you don't die. And that uh, you know, you figure out this journey for yourself. I said, I'll be happy to walk down this path with you, but it's it's your path. I said, I don't know you. You'll be ignorant of me to tell you what you need to do. I said, You tell me what you need. And if you're not sure ask me the question i'll help you figure out the answer i'm not going to tell you the answer but you and i will figure it out
1: that's awesome i, th- I wish there was more of that type of thinking um, you know going on in in the program because i i think it's a real turn i think it's a real turn off it's a real limited way of thinking to think that you have uh someone else's solution or answers or that things can't change or there's one way of of like uh doing anything like what what's why can't you know why can't we just explore uh you know different things it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense to me
0: no no and the whole you know the whole thing is is about to tell you know our truth and not not to give someone else like i said i can't i can only tell you my perspective and the kid asked me then he said well you know he said, I, I look at these guys who've been going to AA for 30 years. and I'm like, why the fuck are you at this meeting? You know, How often do you go to a meeting? I told him, well, I was like, well, dude, you know, and honestly, I said in the last six months, I've probably been to two or three, I've probably been to three meetings that I wasn't paid to be at. But um, I said, you know, that doesn't mean that there's going to be periods of time when you may not need, I said, I don't know. I can't tell you how many meetings you'll need to go to. I said, um, the whole point is, at the very beginning, you want to do a lot of these recovery activities so you get conditioned, so you get used to doing it, so that when you need that resource, you know it's available and you know it helps. So the reason why it's encouraged for you to call other alcoholics, call other addicts, is so that it's not a foreign idea, so that when you need help, you know you can reach out to other people. I said, maybe you won't need to go to a meeting you know, every day or every week, but you know there may be a week when you need to go to three meetings a day every day yeah it's
1: a new it's a neuro it goes back to the neural pathway thing we were talking about like what you're doing is you're wiring a new neural pathway like your solution instead of picking up a drink your solution is call somebody and you call somebody call somebody call somebody call somebody, call somebody. you gotta you know repetition you gotta repeat that and drill it into your in your head but yeah this shit's gotta evolve man i i did a group on uh just taking a daily reflection the other day and I'm just like, well, you know what? I took a daily reflection. I go, and I didn't like, I didn't like part of it. I go, so I changed it. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? This may sound arrogant, but the whole thing was, that's and great. it was a God thing, and it was talking about bondage. And it was the, the premise of it was help me to relieve the bondage of self, so that I may do Thy will. And I oh, didn't like that. Like the third step. That's what somebody said, and I said, you know what? I don't, I didn't like that because. So many people have a hard time with with God and higher power. So what I changed it to was, help me relieve the bondage of self, so that it, I may be, so that I may better be of service to others.
0: Ooh,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at its core, I felt what that was saying is it's not the bondage of self. It's not the bondage of self is ego, right? Sure. Help me. Let go of my ego, so that I can serve others. Because this whole "do thy will" thing is like, you know, we can really get in, into some existential um, shit on that, and just say, "Well, how do we know? <laughs> how do we know God's will versus our own?" True. What's you... the What's the fucking litmus test for that?
0: There, there is none.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just I thought it was a softer, uh, more open. um not softer per se, but just a more open way of, of looking at it and say, well, how can I, how can I be less ego centered? And you know, maybe just stopping the fucking drinking and the using is probably the first step to that. It's hundred percent. And then, then there's another whole set of layers underneath that that we can keep ourselves in bondage over our, our thinking and our emotions and all that crap too. So
0: anyways, well, fuck it. So I think the message I'll take from that is if you don't just change, change the parts that don't work for you, take yeah. what works, leave the rest and just don't die before you figure out the solution here, 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 here. All right. Thank good okay, Hey guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you guys are having any problems, shoot us an email at don't at gmail.com. Uh, you can email us at don't die at gmail.com. Any fucking time, uh, we're, we're here for you, okay. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to Brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you die. You know we to find You are listening to the Ground Zero Podcast. Brought to you by two guys with a simple message. Don't die.